Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim introduces us to Commitment 3 in our partnership series, where we look at what it means to be a part of a community of belonging. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. And uh, if I haven't yet met you, my name is Tim. I'm uh, grateful that you're with us this morning. Uh, we've got a sermon to cover, but um, actually, let me say this first. Uh, Jared and Mason, uh, I always come into to Sunday mornings like, okay, God, what is at least one thing that I can chew on this week, something I can uh, walk away with that, uh, you know, what, what are you trying to say to me? What's a fresh word? And uh, that the whole angle of God often call, God often calls us after, <laughs> like God actually pushes us sometimes. Sometimes it's through our wives. I, I feel that. Um, I, uh, I thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That was really helpful for me. Um, all right, we're gonna. Have, uh, if you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Acts chapter fifteen. Acts chapter fifteen. Acts. If you're new to the Bible, uh, the book of Acts is kind of a history book of the early church. Uh, the book of Acts records the rise of this community. Um, Jesus sent them out into the world to show love and compassion and grace and. Uh, and this is the story of them going out. Now, at the same time, they're going out. The Roman Empire is on the rise. Caesar Augustus takes this little republic of Rome and turns it into an empire. And so you have these two stories at the same time, this flashy, large empire who's building roads all over the world. Uh, anyone who stands in their way, they're mowing over. And then at the same time, you have this really quiet movement called the church. Uh, and Jesus told his disciples, that the church is going to be like a mustard seed. It's going to be small, and uh, you barely see it with the, the naked eye. And yet, when the mustard seeds ta- seed takes root, uh, there is no stopping this movement. So that's the book of Acts. Uh, it looks at both of those uh, on the rise together and how they come into competition with each other. And ultimately, uh, what Jesus said happens. And uh, we are here today because the mustard seed took root. Uh, and that mustard seed of faith takes root in our own lives as well. And so um, we're, I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad you're with us. Uh, Acts 15, uh, we're, so there's all that going on. We're not actually uh, as interesting as that like dual empire thing is. Um, we'll look at that more at Christmas time. But uh, I want to look at Acts 15 for a little different reason. Uh, Acts 15 records a really fascinating case study of how do we do community together when we don't necessarily agree with each other. Uh, it's a really fascinating case study in the early church. Uh, there was an obstacle that was presented to this very early, young church. They loved Jesus. They were on board with his mission. But there was an issue they disagreed on. And this issue could have provided a wedge in the community. It could have been the kind of issue that they said, hey, uh, we just can't do life together. If the issue creates a wedge, there is a good chance that they look at each other and say, we're not even from, we don't even, we're not even part of the same thing. Uh, this particular issue is a, a big deal. Uh, and how they handle this issue, I think, is really helpful for, for us and how we think about the divisive issues of our day. We're going to look at the issue and you're going you're gonna to say, okay, what, what's the big deal? Um, there, this doesn't seem, like, why is this so divisive? Uh, because right now this issue is not divisive at all. The issue is the issue of circumcision in, in the Bible. 
um, which somebody told me not everyone's going to know what that is, and you should explain it. Um, essentially, for those who are younger, uh, it's something that happens at birth that would mark you as part of this, this faith family. And so the question, there's a giant question around, do we need to do that thing? Uh, that's my PC way of explaining circumcision, knowing my son is right there. Um, uh, this issue, though, could have wedged the church. It's not a big issue today, because mostly because they dealt with the issue, and they found a way to move forward in mission together, uh, even though they disagreed with each other initially. Uh, and I think it gives us a really good blueprint for how we can do the same. So uh, now, just a quick recap. If you're new with us, welcome. Hope you feel at home here. Uh, there's a lot of you this morning. My guess is the time change helps with that. Is that fair? Uh, the, there's... You can hear the stomachs rumbling in the next service because people's lunch schedules are coming right when we're starting. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad you're with us. Um, by the way, a life hack for the time change that I've discovered, if you're trying to become a morning person, just keep going to bed at your normal time. Like, ignore the time change. Uh, it's the easiest way to, like, get up an hour early or 45 minutes early and uh, still get all your sleep. That's my life hack. Here's the review. Uh, three weeks ago, we uh, started a series on partnership, uh, really asking the question, why does church matter? Why do this? Uh, knowing statistically the, the number one group of Christians in America that are self-reporting are those who say that they were exvangelical or they are de-churched. That means they, they used to go to church. They used to feel like this mattered. Not so much anymore. And so we're just asking the question, why, why does church matter? Why should we consider continuing to do this kind of gathering, and uh, not just on Sundays, but what is it, why does this church matter for what happens outside of these walls in our neighborhoods and communities and schools and businesses? Uh, and uh, in the seat back in front of you, so you, these are back at Connecting Point um, at, as you head out. If you didn't get one last week, we handed them out last week, um, but we'd love for you to get, a, get this. It's a little information on uh, kind of what we mean by each of these. Uh, but also, uh, on the seat back in front of you, there's this card. Uh, I love how Chris talked about this last week. This is essentially our outline for the series. We spent a week just talking through why commitment, and then we've been working through each of the commitments, and we are now on commitment number three. Uh, commitment number three reads, I commit to participate in this community of belonging as we together seek to be centered on Jesus. Uh, and we talked about how uh, we're going to walk through our commitments and what matters to us, what we see is really essential for the life of a faith community, a, a Christian church. And uh, at the end of the series, we are, we'll give you an opportunity if you want to fill out the card and say we're, we're linking arms. This is just, honestly, the card is mostly for us so that we know um, how, do we, how do we put you in care groups and all those things. Um, but uh, this is, it's all on here. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, but today I want to talk about community. Uh, especially, what does it mean to be part of a community of belonging? Uh, I think we all can agree that matters. Uh, we've talked about being in community for a long time. We, we know, I think all of us would agree, that loneliness is an issue, and it's a growing issue. It's an issue in our, especially in our American culture right now. This is just an issue we got to keep our eyes on, and the church has to keep our eyes on this issue. Uh, you already know this. You know the statistics. Um, here's some, some statistics uh, that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone or left out. Half of Americans report that. Uh, one in four Americans rarely or never feel as though there are people who really understand them, like truly see me. One out of four people. Uh, two in five 
say that sometimes or always they feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they are isolated from others. So, by the way, if you're thinking, I have social anxiety when I walk into a room and I don't know everybody and I don't really love that feeling, you are not the minority in that. Most people are in that space where it's, okay, I don't know enough people. I feel awkward here. I don't feel like anyone understands me here. Uh, only half of Americans report having meaningful in-person social interactions on a daily basis. Half. Um, I have a friend who's a pastor, and he's not married. And there was one day where he was just lamenting, and he said, one of the things I love about Sunday is it's the only time uh, in a week often that I'll get like physical touch where I can actually like hug somebody or shake a hand. Most of my week, you don't, you don't walk into the office and shake hands with coworkers. And so he's like, I can go all week and this is the first time like somebody gives me a hug. And I think we can take that for granted if we have more access to that. But um, 50% of Americans say they don't. Uh, if you're a man, this is even more severe. So men in the room, uh, this is according to the uh, survey of American life. Uh, they report that in 2021, only 27% of men said that they had six close friends. 27. Now, what's fascinating about that statistic is they did the same, they asked the same question in 1990, so 30 years ago uh, or so, um, and that question came back as 55%. So we went from 55 to 27% in like a generation. Men, uh, we're becoming more isolated. I feel that. I, I wonder if you feel that. But again, you already know this. We talk a lot about this. Uh, you probably read this year the Surgeon General's warning on loneliness. Uh, the, the language that they're now using is the word epidemic. Uh, the Surgeon General said that loneliness uh, leads to an increased uh, risk of heart disease by 29%. 29% increased risk of heart disease, 32% increased risk of stroke, 50% increased risk of developing dementia, 50% increased risk of dementia. Uh, and they equated it to the consequences of loneliness, they equated to smoking 15 cigarettes a day to what it's doing to our physical health. I know, it's a lot. Um, statistics tell what is, but uh, they don't necessarily always tell how it feels. And um, I'm always aware on a Sunday morning, I'm trying, you try to keep your eyes open for it, but not everyone feels, we talk about community and what does it mean to be a church family, and not everyone feels that. Uh, my guess is there's some of you in the room right now that you feel pretty lonely. Uh, and I, uh, I think we could all probably attest to that the only thing worse than being lonely and alone is being lonely in a large space. Uh, and, uh, and again, we already know this. We know that the Bible's first time it says, or maybe, maybe you know this, the first time the, the Bible talks about it being not good, something being not good, is loneliness. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 18 says, uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. When you read it in context, it stands out because up until then, it's, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden, God says, whoa, it's not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. He'll just play video games all day. That's my translation. Um, the first time we read a not good in the Bible is loneliness. Uh, we, we were created to belong. We were created for community. God's solution to the loneliness problem is community, and uh, we were created for this. But again, you already know this, uh, whether it's your first time here 
or whether you've actually heard us discuss this in the past, uh, this, is, this is not new. You feel this. Here's the question, though, that I want to wrestle with this morning a bit. Uh, is community always good? What about when a community is dangerous? What about when a community is toxic? Uh, this is the unaddressed elephant in the conversation when we talk about loneliness. Is it not the, the what happens when community actually hurts us? Uh, maybe you had... Uh, a community that you decided, I actually need to sever myself from this particular community because it's not good for me. You had a group of friends and you got together and you realized pretty quickly that the only thing you had in common is when you got together, you would drink a lot of alcohol and you recognized this is not a life-giving community. It's actually affecting me. It's affecting my health. It's affecting my relationships. We, we're not able to get into anything deep. We're just... these. Are, I'm not confident that this is a community. This almost just feels like my drinking buddies. And so I actually, for my own sake, I got to separate myself from the community. I got to dissolve the community at some level. Or perhaps it's a community where you recognize pretty quickly that the only conversations you ever have when you gather are negative conversations about somebody else. What the Bible refers to is gossip. And you realize, okay, the only time I ever hang around this person or this group of people, all we do is tear down somebody else. And yeah, there's something exciting and kind of fun about that conversation, but I always leave it feeling kind of ugh. And then I always have this question of, I wonder if they have the same conversation when I'm not in the room about me. And so for your own like, health, you said, I don't know that I should stay part of this community. Maybe you tried to lean into the community and tried to actually change the community. You tried to tip it back to positive. You tried bringing up something of substance, and yet the gravitational pull just kept pulling you back to the unhealthy stuff. And at some point you said, I can't do this. This is not good for me. It's not good for us. It's actually not good for my values as a Christian man or woman. I cannot do this. So we have these two competing tensions. On the one hand, it's not good that man, mankind is alone. It's not good. Loneliness is not good. That's a biblical statement. At the same time, you have this competing interest of sometimes there's a danger in being in the wrong community. Jesus actually spoke a lot about how there's the wrong communities. Be really careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, he says. Like that community is pretty toxic, so be careful. Now to further complicate it, uh, there were some communities that you were part of, and uh, if if the glue of the community of drinking buddies is not strong enough to hold you together, and if the glue of the community of gossip isn't strong enough, there were some communities you're a part of where the glue seemed to be good. It was a family. Uh, it was a church. And yet, uh, you went through something, and you really needed your family to be your family. You really needed your church to walk with you through this. And what you experienced was, as soon as life got hard, they kind of they either ignored you, didn't, didn't make the phone call, or never um, actually made it feel like it was your fault in, in a way that wasn't actually helpful for you to work through it. I think a lot of people right now, this, this de-churched or exvangelical, whatever language we use, that crowd, I think, probably the majority of people who have stepped away from church, it's not because of brunch. Right? Brunch is good. It's hard to compete with brunch. At the same time, I think the majority of people that most likely that have stepped away from church, it's because somewhere in that it didn't actually feel like a community where they could fully be themselves. So how do we, if this is our uh, commitment to be a community of belonging that seeks to be centered on uh, the glue of Jesus, like the, his mission for us, how do we do this? 
If uh, commitment one was the foundational commitment, uh, that Jesus is the bedrock commitment, of that, that's the glue. And, and commitment two is the mission. This is why we are, this is the great commission of Jesus. We're called to, to take next steps and invite others to take next steps as disciples of Jesus. Commitment number three is the one that uh, most likely is most important for the church to really think about right now. We gotta get this one right. Uh, in fact, most people probably didn't leave churches because they didn't be- the church didn't believe in Jesus. Most Christian churches are pretty clear about their belief and commitment to Jesus. And most, I've yet to meet a pastor who doesn't say discipleship matters. So most people don't leave church because the church doesn't care about discipleship. But lots of people uh, have found themselves hurt and wounded because we don't get commitment three right always. Uh, is it possible? I, I, I wonder if there are people that have left the church and have just asked the question, can the church even do this one? Can, can we do it? Is it possible? Um, because the experience from, for a lot of people is that the glue that holds us together is not a shared mission or commitment to Jesus and each other, but it's a shared political ideology. We all vote the same way. Or a shared worldview. We're all part of, we all kind of see the world through the same racial, cultural, financial lenses. Is it possible for the church to actually be a community where we vote differently and can still come to the communion table together? Is it possible for the church that we can be the kind of community that sees the polarizing issues of our day and we vehemently disagree and yet we can come to the communion table without simply saying that person's like they're, they're wrong or crazy, or like, but still hold our beliefs on the polarizing issues and yet anchor ourselves to Jesus. Is it possible to, uh, for the church to be the kind of community where we have different upbringings, different races, different worldviews? Uh, we come from different generations, different age groups, uh, and we can actually link arms on a mission together. That would be revolutionary. Uh, Is it possible? I think the answer is yes, because it's happened before. Which brings me to our case study. Uh, Acts chapter 15 will be in verse 1. We'll read it together. I'll fill in some gaps as we go. Verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, You cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Pause there. Uh, So this is our problem. Okay, We've got uh, an issue that has the church divided, and they're calling a meeting to try to figure out how do we move forward. On the one side, you got Paul and Barnabas. Now, Paul and Barnabas have gone into the world, and they've told people about Jesus to people who are non-Jewish even, uh, what the Bible refers to as Gentiles. And what they discovered is, as they were telling people about Jesus, people were getting excited. Like, are you telling me that my sins will not be held against me? Are you telling me that God is not angry with us? Are, is, are you telling me that grace and love and mercy can be the bedrock of our, of our culture? We're in. Um, but at the same time, there was this whole operation, <laughs> the snipping, the... You explain it. Uh, There was an operation that was keeping people from saying, I'm not quite sure I want to be in. And Paul and Barnabas were saying, okay, don't worry about the operation. That's not that big of a deal to the mission. 
that was on one side. On the other side, there's a group of people who are saying, are you, are you kidding me? Like, we have to do this. It's, it's in the Bible. We have to, if you're going to step into the faith, we have to require circumcision. The Bible's very clear on this. So now we have, the language is a sharp dispute and debate. Uh, when you read that, don't think, think like English Parliament style debate, right? Like this is a heated argument between what do we have to do? Now again, for us, it's hard to even see the problem. This is not a debate in our culture. Uh, there's no box on our car that says, what time can I sign up for the snipping? Like that's not a thing we're asking of you, uh, which, which we assume, right? That would be really weird in our culture to even think about that as a, a divisive issue. But I... Uh, uh, for them, this particular issue is every bit divisive, as divisive as human sexuality is in our culture. Every bit is divisive. Uh, because, again, while we don't have this as an issue in our day, what they saw was that the Bible was really clear on this. So Paul and Barnabas on one side, everyone else on the other side, or the others on the other side, the others are saying, have you read the scriptures? The scriptures don't mince their words. God himself has spoken about circumcision, and he said, we have to do this. Uh, this, is, like, this is supposed to be the mark of our community. We have to do this. Uh, act, uh, Genesis 17, we just went through Genesis. Um, and if you go through Genesis, what you discover is Genesis talks about circumcision, circumcision an uncomfortably lot of times. Uh, and the Bible talks about circumcision a lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, Genesis 17, when it's first introduced, we read this. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, can we agree that the Bible is crystal clear about this issue? Right? The book of Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament, crystal clear about this issue. For Paul and Barnabas to suggest that they didn't need to do this was for them to essentially say, yeah, we know, it. We know what the Bible says. We know it has that in there, yes. But we don't think it's helpful right now to the mission we're on. In fact, we have discovered that to, to ask someone to do this actually takes their eyes off of the mission we're on. And so while it was helpful then, and I know it's in the Bible, it's no longer necessary for us today. But doesn't the Bible say believers must? Yeah, it does. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Like throughout the Old Testament. Did Jesus ever tell you that, did he ever weigh in on this issue? Does he ever say, uh, you know what, in my movement, this is not gonna be a requirement? Because if Jesus says, you don't have to worry about it, I know the Old Testament says it, but we follow Jesus, so we're gonna follow what Jesus said. But Jesus doesn't say anything about circumcision. Never once doesn't say that this is a custom we can break. So where do they get the idea that they can just decide what from the Old Testament they want to keep and what they want to break? Where do they get off on deciding, like, I can just make my own rules for the sake of what we're trying to do? The answer is a short little verse in the passage Chris led us through last week. 
Uh, if you remember last week, if you, or if you weren't with us, um, last week we looked at this key moment in the life of Jesus with his disciples where he brings them to the city of Caesarea Philippi. He, uh, you know, the, the gates of Hades, the goat god Pan, all of that. And he says, who do people say that I am? And they respond. Uh, Peter says, oh, you're, the son, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And then Jesus says, uh, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. I am a rock. Remember that? Um, okay. You're Peter. means the rock. Uh, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Uh, this, by the way, is the first time the word church is mentioned in the Bible. This is the church's inaugural address. This is our mission statement. Whatever Jesus says, this is, this is what we are to be doing. We are to be the people, as we talked about last week, who don't just say yes to Jesus, but are willing to follow Jesus uh, in determining the path of our lives, to go to the darkest places. Now, here's the line that comes next. Jesus says, I give you, or I will give you, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, again, this is, without some context, this is one of those lines that's really easy to, to read right over. Um, because what Jesus is doing here is he's using language that was common for his day. Uh, it actually comes out of a debate on a passage in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Uh, the rabbis used language of binding and loosing. The idea was, uh, to bind something was to say, I no longer allow it or permit it. To loose something was rabbinic language to say, you're permitted to do this. The rabbis had these debates on uh, what do we bind and what do we loose when it comes to two ideas or two biblical passages that are in conflict with each other. So, uh, honor the Sabbath and do no work. My neighbor's donkey falls into a pit on the Sabbath. What do I do? That's actually, a, Jesus gives that as an example. What do I do? Uh, Jesus, our, our rabbi, Jesus, Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi. Our rabbi, Jesus said, okay, when it comes to that, you bind the Sabbath law for that day and you loose yourself to help your neighbor. Love your neighbor is a more important law. Does this make some sense? When you have two biblical ideas that are in competition with each other, they're in collision with each other. Jesus says, I'm giving you the authority to make the hard decision. It's a hard decision. It's not an easy decision, but you have the authority. And whatever you bind and say, I'm, okay, I know this is in there, but it's just, it feels like it's in conflict with this other thing. Whatever you bind, I'll bind. And whatever you loose, I'll lose. This is why it's always not always the most helpful just to quote Bible verses at each other um, because we can both have our list of Bible verses, but if we're not understanding like, hey, one of us is choosing to bind something and the other is choosing and choosing to loose something else, that's the real question. What are we binding and what are we loosing? Here come Paul and Barnabas. They've been on a mission journey and they've discovered that there's this mission that Jesus gave them to be good news to the world, to spread the gospel. But the operation, the, the procedure of circumcision is keeping especially adult men from actually saying, I can, I can be part of this. Now, we don't know more details, whether it was just they, were, they didn't want the pain of it all or whether it's I, we can't afford to, to be removed from work for that long of period or whether it's simply 
uh, if we were to go undergo this, our whole community would turn on. We have no idea their reasoning other than it's keeping people from the mission. So yes, the Bible, the Old Testament is very clear, but we are choosing to bind that so that we can loose the mission. Are we clear on this? And now we have a sharp religious dispute and debate about it, and it's getting quite heated. So let's go back to our case study, verse 2. Yeah, 2. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem, the headquarters of the faith at this time, to see the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God has done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. Do you get get the feel for the layout? All the believers gathered to one spot trying to wrestle with an issue. What do we do? How do we move forward? They don't agree on how they move forward on this. On one side, we have to require it. On the other side, I I think we have to bind that to loose the mission. What they agree on is they all follow Jesus. What they agree on is the mission Jesus gave them. But they do not agree on how to handle this particular issue. Uh, Back to the the case study, verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up. Remember Peter? He's the same guy on this rock. I'll build my... Okay. Uh, Peter got up, and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Do you hear what he's saying here? It's like, listen, if you thought the operation gave you the ability to do all the right things, we ourselves know that it's by grace that we've been saved because we had the operation and we still did the bad things. So if you think like the operation exists to purify them by, for some reason, well, it hasn't worked for us. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul <clears throat> telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. James is is Jesus' brother. He's leading the church in Jerusalem. James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it's written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. Okay, now this next part, really important. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So in other words, let's loose them from this requirement of circumcision 
and will bind them to these other, uh, these other rules. Now, just to see how this principle plays out, later Paul will wrestle with the church of Corinth and say, you know what, this food sacrifice to, to the, this, these idol, the food sacrifice to idols, we're going to loose that one too because it's actually becoming a stumbling block. Um, and then later the church is going to say, we really like steak, so we're going to loose the whole meat one because we want to eat steak. Okay, so we have a history of doing this work. By we, I mean all of us, right? Okay, verse 22. This is a debate. Then the apostles and elders of the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. <clears throat> the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. We have heard that some, went out, that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds with what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by the word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. <laughs> Super helpful, but farewell. That's it. That's our case study. Now, why do I bring us here to talk about community? A um, couple observations about the case study. First observation, uh, I, I would say submission for the mission. When it comes to the glue that's going to hold this community together, it was the mission of Jesus. That was their glue. The glue was the mission. And they were willing. They, they argued it. They debated it. But they were willing to submit to each other and to God for the sake of the mission. If it slowed the mission down, if it, if it kept a barrier between God and others, we will submit ourselves, our worldview, our interpretation, for the sake of the mission. That's observation number one. Observation number two uh, and this one flows out of the first. Don't make it difficult for people to find their way back to God. That was their conclusion. After all the debate, uh, they took an, a 2,000-year-old practice and they decided to overturn it. And they said, verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Help people find their way back to God. That's the mission. Don't add all sorts of hoops and burdens and weird expectations that will keep people from finding their way back to God. This is not a cult. This is a community. So if there's cult-like practices that are keeping people from finding their way back to God, don't do it. Observation number three. Uh, the passage includes one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's a certainty we want in a leader. <laughs> right? It's not certainty. They, can't, they cannot and they do not say, we know for sure this is what we're supposed to do. I wonder if Paul to his deathbed was like, I hope God was okay with that. I don't know. Like, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. This feels like what we're supposed to be doing. We had the debate. But we never once do we read that Paul or anyone else is saying the heavens broke open and they gave us a new revelation and this is what God himself is asking us to do. The best they get to is it seemed good 
to the Holy Spirit and to us. We may not know if we're ever right. Okay, let's put those three together and let's think about us, uh, you and I. What does it mean to be the church? Uh, first and foremost, I would say that we need to be really, really clear about what the mission is. The mission of Jesus, commitment one and two, is the glue. It's easy to accidentally come to believe that we have a different mission. Our mission, first and foremost, is not center, the glue is not political ideology. If the mission was to get certain people in the office, then the glue of our, of our community would be political ideology, but that's not our mission. Our mission is not worldview. If the goal of our gatherings was simply to get everyone to see the world the same way we see the world, then the mission would be worldview, but that's not the glue. Uh, the mission is actually not even just to get everyone to read the Bible exactly how we read the Bible. In fact, what we realize in this, this community is different voices reading the Bible differently actually is helpful to the mission of helping people find their way back to God, to actually going out in the name of Jesus. They don't agree on politics. The Pharisees and the Gentiles they uh, have very different political ideologies. In fact, the Gentiles, one of the things you're going to see in the New Testament is they, many of them think that what the Romans are doing is good. It's good news for the world. Jews, not so much. They don't agree on worldview. Uh, the people of Antioch and the people of Judea come from two very different regions of the world. Uh, and, then they, and they don't agree on, on how to, to agree on how exactly to read all of the Old Testament passages. We saw that in the debate in the first place. What they agree on is the mission. And anything that slowed that mission, anything that stood in the way of that mission, uh, anything, um, even something as important as circumcision, to the mission, they said, we have to bind it up because the mission, uh, the mission is Jesus. And people are lonely and people are hurting. And if this procedure is keeping people from the life-saving, eternity-saving knowledge of Jesus, we have to bind it up so that we can loose people for the mission. Jesus is the hope, not the religion. The religion exists to serve uh, the mission, not the other way around. Let me say that again. The religion, the rules, the rituals, the traditions, the religion exists to serve the mission, not the other way around. When we get that backwards and we think, oh, we gotta make sure they know all the rules so that they, when we get it backwards, things, go, things, things get pretty ugly pretty quickly. Now, they didn't do this flippantly. They honestly wrestled with it. Um, but they did do it trying to achieve the same result because they were clear on the mission. And I would say that this is still what makes the church the one unique body in our world. Uh, I would say that when the church gets this right, and I actually think we're doing pretty good with this at South Harbor. I'm pretty proud of how we've handled some tough issues. When we get this right, we are the one unique group in the world who looks different. Think about the communities you see. CrossFit. It's a community. They do a really good job at building community. But CrossFit people kind of look like CrossFit people. It's not a judgment. I wish I looked like a CrossFit person. Uh, that's just a statement. Uh, Harley Davidson has a community, but Harley people kind of look like Harley people. Uh, uh, knitting clubs. 
Knitting clubs have community, but knitting clubs kind of look like knitting clubs. But the, the church, I mean, it's, without making it awkward, look down your row. <laughs> you don't look like each other. I think that's a good thing. Did you know that there's a good chance somebody in your row voted for the person that you think is going to ruin our world? Good chance. <laughs> good chance. <laughs> Whatever side of the fence you're on. Uh, did you know that there's probably somebody in your row who's from a different generation? Like they, they, they totally see the world through a totally different generational understanding. Uh, there's probably somebody down your row who grew up in the faith tradition reading certain Bible passages a little bit differently than you've read, and they're sitting in your row. There may be, even in your row, a Chicago Bears fan. <laughs> That's why we don't let her sit in a row. You get a table. You get a table. <laughs> There's no other glue that can hold a community of people who are very different together like the mission of Jesus. Uh, we look different in the world. And when we get this right, and we actually commit ourselves to, we'll do the hard discussions. We have to. And we may walk away from the hard discussions, so the, the diff- tackling the difficult issues together, like uh, the issues of race and sexual uh, orientation and religious nationalism and identity and all of the tough issues. What holds us together is the mission. Not that we all agree with each other on it. Churches that look like that are not very interesting. But the body of Jesus, I love how, it en- I love how the Bible ends. Um, the book of Revelation talks about every tribe, language, people, and nation at the banquet table. Apparently, we're still speaking different languages in the end. And we're at the same table. Apparently, we still have like different national affiliations at the end. And we're still at the same table. This is what makes the, the church beautiful. Now, the caveat, it seemed right to us in the Holy Spirit. We may get it wrong. We may have a tough debate with each other, wrestle with each other, try to figure out, link arms and mission, because the mission is the glue. And we may, five years later, look back and say, why did we do that? That's not what God wanted. We may get it wrong. The, the risk of doing authentic community is you actually do have the hard conversations, and the risk of having the hard conversations is we may together get it wrong. But we link arms. We commit to each other to say, how do we work through the tough stuff of life? If the first church could, could leap the barrier of circumcision then whatever issues we're facing as a culture that are dividing our churches, uh, we, can, we can work our way through. Uh, if we forget that, um, if we forget why we exist in the first place, um, we keep our eye off the mission, um, it's really easy to make the mission about something else. We are, we are it's not interesting. Building an institution is not interesting. You do not want to build an institution. You want to build the church. You want to build friendships. You want to build relationships. You want to build the kind of community where you can actually voice your actual thoughts and concerns and know that the community won't immediately reject you and turn on you. That's the community you want to build. And I would, I think the scriptures tell us The church of Jesus and the mission he gave is the only community that I know of who actually has a glue 
strong enough to hold us together even when we disagree. You want to do that? I do too. More than anything else, I want to do that too. So thank you. Thanks for, for in continuing to engage this. Uh, thank you for continuing to. Um, I love the emails that say, hey, you said this thing and I don't know if I like it. I love those emails. Uh, I, I encourage those emails. People often wonder if like when you, like, no, I love those emails because I don't know that we have to agree on all of those things. Uh, if we can agree on the mission and who Jesus is, we can, we'll, we'll get through whatever else. Let's have a word of prayer. Hi, Lord. Again, for anyone who this morning feels lonely, we start there, Jesus. Um, we, we know that your, your spirit is a comforter. Uh, Jesus, you told us he is. And so we pray that um, in the quiet of our hearts now, your spirit would speak to our spirits and you would bring comfort. Uh, Lord, I pray for anyone who um, especially uh, don't just feel lonely in this moment, but feel lonely in life. Uh, Lord, we know that deeply wired into us by you is the desire to be seen and loved and part of a community. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would um, continue to help us develop systems and strategies and all those things so that we can connect people. Um, but, Lord, ultimately, it's not about the systems or the strategy. Lord, help us to see people as people. And then, Jesus, as uh, our world continues to get ever the more polarized and as uh, conversations happen and continue to happen, uh, Lord, whatever those would be, uh, we pray that you would help us to see each other. And behind the eyes of the other, Lord, would you help us to see um, your Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said. As always, we hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. On Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.